0: Turn our hearts to worship and adore you, for you are worthy. You are faithful and true. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss our kids to their Hope Kids class. Thank you, Hope Kids teachers. While the kids are leaving, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Nathan Wingate. Um, My wife, Michelle, and I moved down to Somerville uh, 11 years ago, 12 years ago now, um, as part of the core team to Plant Risen Hope Church. Um, I'm a full-time engineer working in industrial operations, and Michelle is a full-time mom to our now four kids. So we moved down here in 2011 uh and then in 2021 I was ordained here as a bivocational pastor and I served in the church um in that way for about a year until we traveled to India to bring our adopted son Elijah home um, from India and then I went on a sabbatical um we were thinking that sabbatical was going to be like three months but uh, the Lord apparently had other plans, and so um, it actually ended up being a very difficult transition for us um, with bringing Elijah home, and so, and, and then there were a lot of other things the Lord was doing in our hearts as well, and so it ended up being a year <laughs> um, of being um, on sabbatical from pastoral ministry, but I'm thankful to be um, back into bivocational by, by pastoring here, and um it's a privilege to be able to preach to you again after it was january 2022 the last time i preached so it's been over a year um let's just pray again as we begin here father um i pray that you would help me to be faithful to your word and my desire this morning is that um, we would see the glory of jesus in this text Um, i pray that you would help me to articulate what i've seen in the text um and that others would see it as well to see jesus as a just and merciful king we ask this um, in jesus name amen so the book of revelation is a revealing um that's what revelation means it's a revealing of jesus christ and two of the main ways that jesus is revealed in this book is he's revealed as the one who rules over the nations and the one who walks among his churches. Today, um, my hope is that you will experience a revelation of Jesus Christ in this text, that you will see his glory more clearly because of what is in this text. Um, And specifically, the revelation of Jesus that we can see here today is that Jesus walks among his churches as a just and merciful king. That's what We're going to see today that Jesus walks among his churches as a just and merciful king. So please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. And if you have a Bible app, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, um, if you could raise your hand and and someone can hand a a New Testament out to you. Um, um, It'll be kind of important to have the text in front of you this morning because we're going to be spending a lot of time actually in the text of Scripture. So two weeks ago, Nick talked about the um, church at Ephesus, and then last week, Mike covered Smyrna and Pergamum. Today, we're looking at the letter to the church at Thyatira. We were originally going to do Thyatira and Sardis today, but it became pretty clear that both of these warranted their own message. So this letter follows the same basic format that all of the letters have followed so far. So first, there's an introduction, and then there's a commendation, and a correction sometimes one sometimes the other so what's going well what's not going well in the church and then where there is a correction there's usually a call to repentance and a warning about what will happen if they don't repent and then there's a closing promise and so our outline today will basically follow that format so we've got four points first we've got the letters introduction then we've got the church in Thyatira, which covers the commendation and the correction, which, so describing the situation in Thyatira. And then the third point is the just and merciful king. We're going to see how Jesus responds to the situation in Thyatira. And then lastly, there's the closing promise for the latter. So the first and fourth points will be brief. A lot of the meets in points two and three. Okay, so first point here is the letter's introduction. Let's, let's read now Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, the letter to the church in Thyatira. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into a great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Verse 24, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so the letter's introduction. Um, A little background on Thyatira. We don't know a lot about this city. It's the smallest and probably least significant of the seven cities um, in these letters. Um, But the church was known as being a a, a a hub for traders' guilds. So like potters, tanners, weavers, and dyers. Um, Acts 16.14 tells us that Lydia, who uh, was a wealthy woman who helped fund Paul's ministry, was from Thyatira, and she was a seller of purple goods. So those would have been like expensive dyed materials. But we don't really know a whole lot about the context of what's going on in this city or in this church beyond what's right here in the letter. But what's going on in Thyatira is that they're doing really well in a lot of ways, but they have one major issue. And so what does this church need to know about Jesus? Well, we'll see this in the way that Jesus introduces himself to the church. He reveals himself in verse 18 as the Son of God— who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Josh West mentioned in his podcast that our ability to understand the book of Revelation is going to be proportional to how well we know our Old Testament. And that's going to be very much the case here in this letter to Thyatira. This is really rich with Old Testament references. And we have two Old Testament references right out of the gate here, uh, to Psalm 2 and to Daniel chapter 10. The reference to Psalm 2 is when Jesus describes himself as the Son of God. Now, to us, we might, it might be easy to kind of glance over that because we're kind of used to calling Jesus the Son of God, but this is actually the only place in the whole book of Revelation where Jesus is referred to as the Son of God. So it's not like a placeholder or a throwaway phrase. It's a very intentional reference. And what's being referenced is Psalm 2 where it describes the reign of Yahweh's anointed king who is also Yahweh's son. And Psalm 2 actually bookends this um, letter to the church in Thyatira because it's quoted extensively at the end of the letter, that quote about giving authority over the nations. And so this letter is a very Psalm 2-ish letter, if you will. That's kind of the flavor of the letter, emphasizing Jesus' kingly authority. The other Old, Old Testament reference is the eyes like flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. This is a reference back to Daniel chapter 10, and it speaks again of Jesus' kingly authority. And the eyes of a flame of fire speak of his wisdom and ability to discern the depths of the heart. And so it's important to remember that in biblical times, they didn't have like an executive branch and a judicial branch, like we have those separation of powers now. one of the roles of the king was to function essentially as the supreme court, the highest level judge in the land. And the king was expected to render right judgments in situations. So there's lots of examples of this in the Old Testament, but maybe one that you're most familiar with is with Solomon, where these two women come, and there's a baby, and they both say it's their baby, and Solomon says, well, we'll just cut the baby in half and give a half to each of you. And the fake mom is like, sounds great. And the real mama said, no, give her the baby. Don't kill the baby. And Solomon's like, aha, you're the real mom. So it's a really cool story. So he wasn't going to cut the baby in half. Um... But, uh, but he used wisdom and discernment to render a right judgment. So that's a, that's a classic example of what a king is supposed to do. That's part of the king's role, to discern a situation and render right judgment. So the picture here is of Jesus as a king who has authority, and authority specifically to discern with his penetrating gaze and to render right judgment in a situation. And so this king who has eyes like a flame of fire comes to the church at Thyatira with a commendation and a correction. So point two is the church in Thyatira. Look at verse 19. This is a brief commendation, but there's a lot here. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. They're giving of themselves to others. Their faith, they're holding fast to Jesus and trusting in him. Service, their love isn't just with words. They're putting their love into action and caring for the practical needs of others. Patient endurance, they're bearing up under trial. In a lot of ways, the book of Revelation as a whole is a call to this patient endurance. We've seen that before and we'll see it again. This is a call for endurance to the saints, and they're doing it. This church in Thyatira is doing so much of what Jesus is calling them to do. And not only are they walking in obedience to King Jesus, they're growing in these areas. It says your latter works exceeded the first. So they're on an upward trajectory in their love, their faith, their um, service, and their patient endurance. There's a lot going well here. In fact, there's so much going well that at first glance you might be like, all right, well, sounds like they got all their bases covered, everything's good. But there is one glaring issue in Thyatira. Let's look at verse 20. This is the correction. He says, But I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So the problem in Thyatira is explicitly stated here. It says, You tolerate that woman Jezebel. The problem here is tolerance. This is essentially the same issue that Mike talked about last week with Pergamum. So we're not going to spend a lot of time today talking about the dangers of tolerance and compromise, although we'll certainly talk about it some. We're going to focus a little more on some of the unique elements here in this letter to the Thyatyrans. The first thing I'd like to draw your attention to is to remember that this church has just been really highly commended by Jesus. They're doing so much right, and yet they're letting people be be led away into sexual immorality and idolatry. So, there's love, there's faith, there's steadfast endurance, there's service, their latter works exceeding the former, and they're tolerating a false teacher. How can we understand what's going on in Thyatira? Well, maybe we can contrast this for a minute against Ephesus, uh, what Nick preached on. So, in Ephesus, they were really solid on their doctrine, but their works and their devotion to Jesus were starting to kind of cool off. Um, they had forgotten the love that they had at first. Thyatira seems to be not quite opposite, but heading in the other direction. Let's say, so they're really devoted to their works, but they don't seem to be particular. They don't seem to be um, as diligent about maintaining their doctrine as they could be. Thyatira seems to be focused on their works, and so maybe they think that a little doctrinal compromise isn't that big of a deal as long as we're doing all of these other things right. Um, But here's the problem. That's kind of like an Olympic athlete who keeps their body in tip-top shape, having a cancerous tumor on their neck that they're just ignoring. So you could ask, is that athlete healthy? Is this church in Thyatira healthy? I mean, in some sense, yes, but in a significant way, you've got to say no, they're not. Something else that's unique in the situation in Thyatira is that whereas in Pergamum, the um, false teaching wasn't necessarily honed in on one person. Here it's very focused on this person whom Jesus calls Jezebel. So if you know your Old Testament, the name Jezebel should be like big red alert red alert, right? Um, Jezebel is a code name that Jesus is expecting the readers to reference back to the Old Testament. So if you're not familiar with Jezebel, um, Jezebel was the foreign wife of King Ahab, who was one of the kings of Israel. She promoted and propagated worship of Baal, a false god in Israel. She persecuted and murdered the prophets of Yahweh, the prophets of the Lord, and she was the arch nemesis of the prophet Elijah. Um, And so in the story where Elijah goes on to Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal and fire comes down from heaven, those are Jezebel's prophets of Baal. Um, So, she's, if not the worst, like one of the top three worst villains in the Old Testament. Uh, Jezebel is synonymous with idolatry, and this code name should be like a red alert. So, let's look back at verse 20 and see what else this uh, says about this Jezebel. Uh, Verse 20 says, she calls herself a prophetess. So this basically means that she's claiming to have ongoing revelations from God and using that to validate her false teaching. Um, And then verse 20 says that specifically she's teaching and seducing people within the church to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. There's a layer here to what's going on that that wasn't really in, that important or critical to focus on with Pergamum, but we need to understand this here in Thyatira, um, although, although the same thing is present in both cases. Jesus is drawing on the Old Testament imagery of um, idolatry as like, as like spiritual adultery. So, uh, we saw this a lot in the book of Isaiah, if you remember that, but... Um, uh, where um, the key issue here is idolatry, although there's certainly literal sexual immorality going on as well. Um, here are three reasons why I think that this is the best interpretation for understanding this sexual immorality. First, the word used for sexual immorality in verse 20 is porneia. Um, the vast majority of the time in the book of Revelation, uh, that is referring to this like, idea of spiritual adultery. Um, idolatry as um, spiritual, sexual immorality. The second reason um, for this interpretation is it makes the most sense with the judgments that we see in a few verses, that that we'll talk about that in a moment. But the main reason why I think that speaking of, this is speaking of idolatry as spiritual adultery, is verse 23. Verse 23 says, all the churches will know that I am he who searches heart and mind, and I will give each of you according to your works. This is a direct quotation from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10. We don't have time to go there this morning, but if you go into Jeremiah chapter 17, you'll see that the context of this is idolatry. That's the context that, that, um, that he's quoting from. So, to summarize the situation so far in Thyatira, the church is doing really well in their obedience to Jesus in a lot of ways, but they're slipping in their doctrinal faithfulness. There's a false teacher codenamed Jezebel, who is seducing the people into idolatry and immorality, and this is where we get to start to see Jesus as a just and merciful king. So, point number three this morning is the just and merciful king. So, let's see what else is going on in Thyatira. Look at verse 21. I gave her, Jezebel, time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So don't move too quickly past this. Jesus is calling this woman Jezebel. That's about as bad of a code name as you can get. And yet Jesus has given Jezebel time to repent. Jesus has been patient even with her. So get this contrast. The Thyatirans are tolerating Jezebel, but Jesus is being has been patient with Jezebel let's let's contrast those two for a moment. The patience of Jesus and the tolerance of the Thyatirans have two different goals in mind. Romans chapter 2 shows us what the goal of Jesus' patience is. It's repentance. This will be up on the screen. This is Paul writing to the Roman church. He says, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not going knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So Jesus' patience has a goal, repentance. This church's tolerance has a different, different goal. It's, it's probably comfort. Jesus' patience towards Jezebel is to give her a chance to repent. The church's tolerance of her is actually just helping her store up wrath for herself. So here's a question who is actually loving jezebel jesus is this church is not church let's not cover up tolerance which is really driven by fear of man or a desire for comfort let's not cover it up by calling it love or kindness or patience the church at thyatira is on a path towards maybe what we would call today something along the lines of theological liberalism theological liberalism is the willingness to compromise on what the bible says about something because it makes us feel uncomfortable or makes someone else feel uncomfortable so we'll compromise on the exclusive claims of jesus because we don't want anyone to feel left out or we'll compromise on biblical sexuality because it um, we're getting so much pressure from the culture Ultimately, with theological liberalism, we end up caring more about feeling like we're loving people than actually loving them. This isn't what Jesus is doing. Jesus isn't being wishy-washy. He isn't compromising. He's being patient. And he's patiently waiting for a response to his call to repentance. Now, we don't know exactly how this call to repentance happened. I would hope that the elders in this church would have done something, but it doesn't say anything. It doesn't say, but there has been some sort of a call to repentance, but Jezebel's refused to repent. So, look back at verse 21. I gave her time to repent, past tense, but she refused. He he gave her time to repent, but now her time is up. So, friend, don't presume on Jesus' patience. Jesus is patient, but his patience doesn't last forever. So, this is the situation in Thyatira. Now, As what we'd expect to see here, based on the format of the other letters, is we've had a commendation, we've had a correction. What we'd expect to see here is a call to repent. So this church needs to throw Jezebel out, they need to do a U-turn, they need a clean house, and they need to get back on the right track. But what happens here is something surprising. Instead of telling this church what they need to do to resolve this situation, in his mercy the risen King Jesus is going to step into the situation himself. There's something really important to see here. This is key not just for understanding the book of Revelation, but understanding what living in these last days looks like. Jesus is now ruling and reigning over the nations, and he is now walking among his churches. Yes, there is a not-yet-aspect to Jesus' rule. We do not yet see all of his enemies put under his feet, but we do already see him exercising his kingly authority here and now. And the heavenly reign of King Jesus breaks into this specific situation at this specific church, and he renders a right judgment for the sake of his church. So this is the Psalm 2 king stepping in and he's smashing these pots. That's what's happening in Thyatira. Friends, we should find tremendous comfort in this text. Jesus acts on behalf of his church. He sees that this church in Thyatira has a malignant tumor that they're just tolerating. They're just putting up with it. And he comes in and he does the surgery himself. Jesus walks among his churches as a just and a merciful king. So let's look at the judgment that Jesus renders in this situation, verses 22 and 23. Behold, I will throw her Jezebel onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give each to each of you according to your works. You see, in Thyatira, we're at a different place in the process of judgment. In the other churches, we're being given a warning of what will happen if they don't repent. Here in Thyatira, that warning's already been given, and what we see here is the judgment. Uh, this is the only letter that's like this. So in Ephesus, he says, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come against you and remove your lampstand. To Pergamum, he says, repent. If not, I will come soon and war against them with, with the sword of my mouth. To Sardis, he says, repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you do not know the hour I'm coming against you. I don't know about you, but I've often wondered, did those churches actually repent? I mean, did they repent? And if they didn't, What does it look like when Jesus comes and wages war against someone with the sword of his mouth? I mean, have you wondered what that would actually look like? I've I've, I've wondered about that. Well, here in Thyatira, we actually get to see what it looks like when Jesus brings a judgment. Um, This isn't necessarily exactly what it would look like in all of these situations, but it's like a case study of what the judgments of King Jesus look like. And again, this is the only ladder where we actually see this happen. So let's look at the judgment. Let's look at what the judgments of King Jesus look like. First, Jesus says he's going to throw Jezebel on a sickbed, so he's going to judge her through some sort of physical illness. But Jesus isn't only coming in judgment against the obvious perpetrator, Jezebel. There are other people involved in this situation in Thyatira. Look back at verse 22. He says, Those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, Unless they repent of her works. So, as a reminder, we're understanding that the issue in Thyatira is idolatry being represented as spiritual adultery. It's possible that these were people that were literally sleeping with Jezebel, but that I don't think that's the best interpretation. These are people who have compromised and they've cheated on God, um, and we can see that to maybe even to some degree by what it says, where it says, um, "Unless they repent of her works." It's kind of a weird thing to say if the problem is that you've like been sleeping with her. It's like you've got to repent of more than just her works there. Um, so these are people who have compromised and cheated on God through, through spiritual adultery. But look, again, even here, there is a chance for repentance for these people. You see, he says, unless they repent. So maybe from the message from last week or today, you've realized that you've been committing spiritual adultery. You've been giving your time, your affections, your mental energy, and your desires to something other than God. And maybe you've even started to experience some tribulation. Maybe you've started to experience some trials because of that. If there's any sense of an awareness of that today, please don't snuff that out. Please repent, because you don't know if you're going to get another chance. And the reason why I say that is there are people in this situation who don't get another chance to repent. Look at verse 23. I will strike her children dead. So here's how I think we can understand this. The people committing adultery with Jezebel are kind of caught up in this, but it doesn't seem like there's the same level as, of willful rebellion as Jezebel has. But these children of Jezebel, they aren't just caught up in some false teaching. They are knowing and willful followers of her corrupt teaching. They know exactly what's going on. So, these children of Jezebel are like seeds of the serpent. They're wolves among the sheep. They're false brothers and sisters who have infiltrated into the church to spoil and ruin her. And Jesus is going to take them out because he loves his church. Continuing in verse 23, it says, All of the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Jesus' purpose in this judgment extended beyond just the church in Thyatira. He wanted the other churches to learn something from this. When we see God's judgments, even from a distance, it should put the fear of the Lord into our hearts. Because you see, Jezebel was out in the open but probably some of these other people were not that were involved in the situation. It probably wasn't obvious who these, um, who these people were that were caught up in the idolatry, who these followers of Jezebel were. God's judgments should put the fear of the Lord in our hearts because His judgments are an uncovering of our hidden things. His judgments are an uncovering of our hidden things, things we've hidden from our spouse, things we've hidden from our church family, maybe even things in a sense that we've hidden from ourselves. But we can't hide anything from King Jesus. Jesus searches heart and mind, and with eyes of flaming fire, he sees down to the very core of who we are, even the things we try to keep secret, and he will render to each of us according to our works. But Jesus' searching heart and mind doesn't mean he's just going to come after us every time we mess up. Look at verses 24 and 25. To the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. So were there other issues that Jesus could have brought up to the church of Thyatira? So Jesus sees with eye, like eyes of flame of fire. Could he have brought something else up? I'm sure he could have, right? Were there other issues in the church of Thyatira? I'm sure there were. But he just brings up this one thing. He's not seeking to point out every single flaw in this church. He's not seeking to point out every single flaw in our church. He's not seeking to point out every single flaw in you. In fact, let's let's summarize how Jesus has interacted with this church in Thyatira. He gives Jezebel time to repent, and then he intervenes for the sake of his church. He judges the false teacher, and he gives the people who have committed spiritual adultery over to tribulation so that they'll repent. And he tells the rest of the church, I'm taking care of this. You just keep doing what you're doing. Jesus walks among his churches as a just and a merciful king. Can you see the mercy of Jesus in this text? I mean, we see the justice of Jesus in this text. Let's see the mercy of Jesus in this text as well. He walks among his churches as a just and a merciful king. Lastly, let's turn briefly to the closing promise Verses 26 through 29. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." So there are two promises here, the first one about authority over the nations, and the second about the morning star. This first promise is a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Um, he's saying, to the one who overcomes, I will give authority over the nations. This isn't talking about Jesus' authority over the nations. This is talking about giving his people authority over the nations, and he, the people, will rule with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Um, so this this is a quotation from Psalm 2 about the Messiah's kingly rule. And here's what we have to understand. Because of our union with Christ, we share in everything that he has. Everything that he has. Even this. And First 1 Corinthians says that we're going to judge angels. So there are some things that might help us understand uh, with this, first of all, in Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 4, 5, and 6, we get to see a little bit of what this um, sharing in Christ's rule looks like. It looks like, at least in those passages, the prayers of the saints being offered in heaven and God responding to those. It also looks like the saints under the altar crying out for justice on the earth. So, maybe, you know, that's a part of what this looks like. But, but here's, I think, the main thing that we need to um, That will help us understand this we've already seen what it looks like when jesus rules with a rod of iron and earth and pots are broken into pieces we saw it happen in thyatira so i don't know if you're making this connection but let me try to help make it more explicit there's an yes there's a not yet aspect to king jesus rule But we already see him exercising his kingly rule here now. And what is happening in the church at Thyatira is the Psalm 2 messianic king breaking these pots with a rod of iron. So he does it with justice, but he also does it with mercy. We'll see this again and again in the book of Revelation. They refused to repent. They refused to repent. Jesus isn't eager to bring judgment. He's eager to save. But ultimately, one way or the other, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The second promise that we see here is this, I will give you the morning star. So there's different interpretations of what this means, but the clearest connection is in Revelation chapter 22 where Jesus says he is the morning star. So you just put those two together. He says, I am the bright and morning star. He says, I will give you the morning star. What he's promising is to give us himself. So again, this is everything that Jesus has. Everything that Jesus is, is ours because of our union with him. Let's just turn um, our thoughts to some application for a couple minutes here. So church, we're thankfully are confident we don't have any Jezebels in Raisin Hope Church. Um, we're pretty careful to watch our doctrine, but there's going to be continue continue to be increasing pressure to compromise in various ways, and there's no guarantee that we won't fall prey. Those things tend to happen slowly and over time. So where there are small compromises, and there probably are, may not be aware of them, we need to repent. We need to repent when there are small compromises. But I don't think for our church specifically, the main thing we need to learn from Thyatira is what not to do, but what to do. What, um, Thyatira was doing a lot well. Their love, their faith, their service, their patient endurance, and their latter works exceeding the former. So, how are we as a church and as individuals doing with what the church at Thyatira did well. These are great diagnostic, ongoing diagnostic categories for us to have, our love, our faith, our patient endurance, our service. And are we, are we on an upward trajectory? Or are we kind of like the church at Ephesus where we used to do that, but, um, but we've stopped? So maybe just one of those things In in just a minute, we're going to have a time uh, for a couple minutes to just think and meditate. What's maybe one of those things that you feel like the Spirit might be um, prompting your heart in? So I think that's our first point of application is, how are we doing with these things that Thyatira was doing well? The second point of application is, do we believe that Jesus walks among his churches as a just and merciful king? And I think that there's three different ways that we could be tempted to not believe this. First, that he walks among his churches, that he is present and he's willing to get his hands dirty into the specific situations of our lives and the specific situations of our church. Do you believe that Jesus is willing to get his hands dirty in those ways? Second, do you believe that he's a just king? Or are you presuming on his patience? Don't confuse Jesus' patience with tolerance. He's not tolerating compromise. His patience doesn't last forever. So, if if there's a chance to repent today, repent now. You don't know if you'll get another chance. And lastly, do we believe that Jesus walks among his churches as a just and merciful king? Do we believe that he's a merciful king? Do we believe that he's not just looking for chances to drop the hammer on us when we mess up? that's definitely not what he did with Thyatira. He was patient, and he was merciful, and he told the rest of the church, just keep doing what you're doing. He didn't nitpick them. So, Christopher, if you could come on up. Um, We're going to take just one or two minutes to meditate and consider these things, and between those two points, if there's just one thing that stands out to you, just take a few minutes and consider that. Um, And if there's something for you to do, like write something down in your journal or text a friend or something that can help you continue to process through that, uh, please do so. And then we're going to, um, after a couple minutes of meditation, we're going to stand together and turn our hearts in adoration and worship to our just and merciful King who walks among His churches.